right, all right, all right. Welcome back, welcome back. You know what time it is? The Fan in the Van podcast time. Uh, you know what I don't get? I mean, for those who live in the state of New York, and we know how this weather is. It's it's hot, it's cold, it's cold, it's hot, it's rainy, it's, you know, hell, it could friggin' snow today for all we know. And yet we have two stadiums in two different boroughs with no retractable roofs. So we look at the Yankee series against the Rangers this past weekend, which ends today because you have to make up these games, um, which should have been a Yankee off day, but now they're going to have to play 20, 23 games in 22 days with no day off, with their first day being off on May 30th, which happens to be when my daughter turns 15. But... Um, You know, you would think that Hal Steinbrenner would have said, you know what, Toronto's got a retractable roof. Seattle's got a retractable roof. Uh, I think the new Miami Marlins Stadium has a retractable roof. So why wouldn't you add these on there? Or, you know, especially in New York with, you know, we had two, three days straight of rain. And sometimes we can get up to three, four days straight of rain, you know, straight of rain depending on, you know, whatever the weather is. But that's not what this podcast is about. Um, for those who have seen, obviously, uh, former Raven Earl Thomas <laughs> had a warrant put out for his arrest, and I guess he's still on the run for comments he made to his, I guess, ex-wife, ex-girlfriend. They have kids together. And the things that he says in this are very disturbing. Um... One of it being, you know, he hopes someone poisons her and the kids. And the other one was, I hope someone messes with your brake lines with you, your new man, and the kids in the car so you all die. Um, I don't get where you would possibly ever in life say that to somebody who created your kid. But I think this all, honestly, it goes back to, you know, it goes back to mental health. For one, and maybe Earl Thomas isn't in the right state of mind, but regardless, it doesn't give you the excuse to make the threats of what you made. Now, I get we've all said things in the heat of the moment, so none of us are perfect. But for Earl Thomas to come out and say that, not only that, but in the age of which we live in, where everything could be recorded, everything could be found, just. I don't know. I just, I, I really don't know. But honestly, Earl Thomas needs some sort of help. And the faster they find him and, and put him in a room somewhere would be better. Um, you know, there's no reason why that that woman nor the kid should have to live in fear and worry every day they get in the car. It might not stop. You know, regardless, obviously, their relationship didn't work out. And of course, like anything else in life, people are going to move on. They're going to move on with or without you. It's just it's just the nature of which the world we live in. You know, I could speak from experience. You know, it just is what it is. And you just got to, you know, you got to accept it. Some it. Sometimes you have to accept it a little sooner than you thought you would have. And sometimes you may not accept it right away, but you'll be fine down the down the road. I could assure you of that. Um, but. You know, this isn't the first time you've seen this within, the, you know, within the NFL as far as, you know, 
all this, you know, the, these acts toward towards a woman. And what does the NFL plan on doing as far as when Earl Thomas is found and then locked up for everything? You know, are they going to help in the counseling process? Are they reaching out to Earl Thomas's kid's mom and the kids to make sure they're okay? I highly doubt Goodell's doing that. But, you know, hopefully nothing happens in the foreseeable future as far as them. And, you know, I guess that's just a wait and see. The other thing, though, is in the NBA. And what happened, I think it was last night during the Mavs-Suns game. And this fan decides he's going to push Chris Paul's mom. And then Chris Paul, then Chris Paul's wife in front of Chris Paul's children. You know, pretty much there was an altercation with, with this fan and Chris Paul's family. Chris Paul came out and he said, you can find the players for, for saying things back to the fans. But what do you do when the fans attack your family? And Chris Paul's got a point here. You know, and again, this all goes down. This all comes down to the fact that people feel self-entitled. You know, you can afford to sit in these nice seats courtside and instead of enjoying the game like you should and enjoying the benefit that you get to sit there, you know, and you can have all the amenities you want, you know, and and, and whatever else they offer you in these seats. And instead you act like a complete jerk off. And for one, I don't blame Chris Paul for trying to go after this fan, for screaming at this fan, because... As much as Chris Paul is an NBA athlete, again, what you people fail to understand is that Chris Paul is a human being with a family like the rest of us. So obviously the first thing he's going to do is try to protect his family. And there's some people I've seen who go, oh, you know, he should have just sat there and just been the, you know, the professional that he is. Well, you, well, you forget this is his mother, this is his wife, and these are his children. And this is happening in front of you. I'll tell you right now, if that was me, you would have had a malice in the palace, too, because I would have been fucking this fan up. Like, I, I don't give a shit at that point. You know, put hands on my family. That's it. <laughs> you know, it just... Eh. You know, I, I just don't get where this entitlement comes from. You know, and you, you have to think... And this fan wasn't old. <coughs> you know, from what I've seen, it looked like he was just like a, like a young person, maybe 21, 22 at best, from what I've seen. But they only showed, like, one view that I got to see from it because I didn't get to watch the game. But it, it's just utter atrocious. You know, the, you know, you had, the, you had the fan in Boston the one year who, who threw an Aquafina bottle at Kyrie Irving. You have, you know, you had the fans that were making racist comments towards LeBron, you know, it, it, when they were playing the Pacers. You know, and, and, and saying things about his kid. You know, there's certain lines. Even if you don't like the player. Okay, you could talk trash about the player and how much you can't stand him and he sucks and all that stuff. And they just sit there and for nine times out of ten, they'll just ignore it. Or they'll go at you with friend, friendly banter back. Like, why don't you come out here and try this then? But when families are, when families are involved, and I hope, you know, I, I hope this fan, you know, Listen, if I'm Chris Paul's family, I press charges. I don't give a shit. You know, I'm pressing charges and I'm doing what needs to be done. But again, you know, and I said it before and I'll say it again. When you get to enjoy the luxuries of sitting courtside or sitting behind home plate at Yankee Stadium or City Field or being able to sit front row at the 50-yard line and, you know, at, at MetLife or, you know, sitting... 
anywhere behind the behind the glass at the garden or at the new U, USB arena, UBS arena, whatever it's called. You know, you still can't park anywhere there. Um, why, why don't you try this? Try enjoying it. You know, there's no reason why if you're sitting next to one of the players' families, why you have to be a fucking jackass. There's no reason to it. There's no reason at all. You know, I can understand if maybe Chris Chris Paul's wife turned around and said something to you, you know, derogatory towards you, and then you're saying something back. Okay, that's one thing. But you could also choose to ignore it if that was the case. Um, now that I tackled those two out of the way, so me and Jay are watching The Last Dance the other night. I think it was uh, Saturday night. So me and Jay are watching it. And... This goes towards what I've been saying the, the whole time, you know, as to why Michael Jordan will always be the greatest of all time and why LeBron will not be the greatest of all time. Um, you know, the last dance makes Michael Jordan look, to me, it, it opens up. To, to who Michael Jordan really is. A side of Michael Jordan you didn't get to see and a lot you didn't know about Michael Jordan or those Bulls or those Bulls teams for all those years. And let's be honest, if Jerry Krause wasn't such a fucking douchebag, okay, the Bulls would have won three more after the second six after the second three peat. Okay? But you know it also shows, if you're a younger generational fan that thinks LeBron's the end-all, be-all, if I advise you to go watch, go watch and see what loyalty is about. Because if you remember that 97-98 season, okay, and Michael's getting hounded and hounded and hounded, is this your last year? Is this your last time at the Garden? Is this, you know, is this it for you? You know, and Michael came out countless times and says, I will not play for another coach other than Phil Jackson. Where have you ever seen LeBron say that? Oh, I won't play for any other coach other than, you know, let's say Mike Brown or Mike D'Antoni. No, you never heard LeBron say that. Have you ever heard LeBron go to a kid starting in his first first All-Star game and guide him and give him the advice to, to get him, get him to, to the paths of the NBA he never thought he could travel down? No, but you know who did that, though, was Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan did that with none other than Kobe Bryant. And even in that All-Star game, his first one at the Garden, okay, they dubbed Kobe Bryant the next Michael Jordan. That's why when you've heard me do debates on this and people have asked me, why do I think Kobe Bryant is second behind Michael Jordan? Who do you think guided Kobe Bryant and gave him all the advice how to become the next Michael Jordan? None other than Michael Jordan himself. This isn't hard to understand. And listen, people sit here, you're going to say, oh, here he is, he's bashing LeBron, bashing LeBron. It's not about bashing LeBron. Because nobody could take away LeBron's talent on the court. Okay? But look at what, look at LeBron, and then look at Jordan. And look at the error that Jordan had to play in. And where and me and Jay are watching this, and I'm sitting there thinking, I go, LeBron couldn't have handled getting pushed from behind by Dennis Rodman. He would have whined and cried. You know, and not only that, you hear Michael say in the last dance, 
you know, I'm watching Horace Grant whine and cry, and I go to him, I go, why the fuck, he goes, why the fuck are you crying for? He goes, let's just play the game, he goes, gonna, you know, they're going to do this all night. You know, people sit here, and they love to have the debate, but you never have facts to back them up. I come with the facts, because these are just what the facts are, is that Michael Jordan is is that guy that made everybody gravitate to him, okay? Scottie Pippen in 98, when he, wanted to, when he wanted to restructure his contract and he wound up getting the surgery he needed to have late, you know, and it pissed, and listen, the last dance showed you a lot of honesty out of Michael Jordan too. Something that I don't think you would have seen out of LeBron, you know, because he was pissed that Scottie Pippen took all that time to get the surgery. But the thing is this, and this is something, and it goes in favor of both players here. LeBron didn't win championships by himself. He needed a, he needed different parties to do that. So did Michael Jordan. But the difference is, is that everybody came to Michael Jordan. Le, LeBron went to Wade and Bosch. That's the difference. And, and we're going to get more into this in the next one, into one of the next ones. And, we'll, and I'll make this a whole, even though I said I would never do it again, then I said I was going to do it, but then certain things got in the way. So, you know, I, I will do the debate again. Um, but something we haven't, haven't really talked about is really the NBA and NHL playoffs. I really haven't watched any of it, you know, even though my Rangers are in it. And so the, the Rangers... <clears throat> The thing with the New York Rangers is they had an amazing season. And, you know, and they got away with it mainly because, you know, you had Shesterkin playing good at goalie and then Georgiev being good at goal. But Saturday exposed all that. Okay? Saturday exposed all that. And it's, and it's proven that the Rangers don't have that that number one starting goaltender. And I and I said it before that this is something the Rangers needed to address. That they need that guy who's a starter. You could take two backups and have them start while a while a goalie's out for a little bit. And they've had to do that in the past when, you know, when Lundquist has been injured, you know, or even when Richter was out, go go further back, you know, and you had a Glenn Healy, you know, to, you know, to back up Mike Richter. And Glenn Healy was a pretty decent starter in his career. So, I mean, but this is something the Rangers are missing. And the other thing is, if the Rangers want to win a cup this year, you can't do, and this isn't to bash the Islanders. So if you're an Islanders fan, this is nothing nothing to bash your team. But when the Islanders got to the Stanley Cup against the Lightning, they were burnt out. Why? Because every series you would go into game seven. You didn't have that rest period, you know, for everybody to heal up and go into the next series and then be dominant. And it showed. For the Rangers to advance further into the playoffs and get to the cup and win the cup, you needed Saturday's game. You had to come out of Pittsburgh with a 3-1 lead. Now you need this game tonight. Then you have to go back to the Garden and win. Then you have to go back to Pittsburgh and win there. Because if this team goes seven, the end result's the same. 
The Rangers, if the Rangers win this series in seven games, you're going into the next one a little burnt out. You win that one in seven, you're going to the next one burnt out, and the next one burnt out. And by the time you get to the cup, everybody's going to be burnt out and tired. They're going to have nothing left in them. It's just common sense. Just common sense. Um, you know, something I see in the NBA, you know, the Warriors-Grizzlies. And the Grizzlies have been the surprise team this year. <coughs> Even if John Morant's on the court or without John Morant. But, you know, during the game, like, what was it, Saturday night? And Jordan Poole grabbed at John Morant's nagging knee, the, the one that always seems to be hurt. Um, and then John Morant put, broke the code. You know, was it dirty? I'd have to say, yeah. Whether it was intentional or not, to, to me, that's still dirty. Um, but I didn't get to watch all the game, so I, you know, I just watched really, the, you know, the highlights. And, you know, the, the other thing I was thinking about, too, and, and this kind of goes out of the NBA playoffs a bit, and it, to me, and I've been asked this, and I've never really wanted to answer it because people have asked me my viewpoint on the Sixers, Nets trade, you know, Harden and Simmons, you know, Seth Curry being involved in that and, you know, whatever pieces went where. And the fact that Simmons couldn't even get on the court and that Simmons now needs a, a back surgery, you know, and it'll be out three to four months. Who won the trade? Right now, neither. Because apparently you have a Sixers team that really kind of doesn't want Harden around from what I've seen. Uh, was it the kid Mosley, Maxley uh, goes to sit out in one game. He goes to sit down and Harden goes to sit next to him and he gets up and he freaking walks to the other side of the bench. So obviously that tells you right there there's something going on in Philly. Um, you know, but again, Ben Simmons, I understand he has his, he has his mental health issues. And that's why I questioned the Nets ever making this trade. And the only key winning piece out of that deal, honestly, and right now where you give the Nets a bit bit of victory in this, is that they got Seth Curry. And, And listen, his brother's the bigger name, obviously, but Seth's just as good. And, and, and that right there, you know, Seth coming off the bench or Seth starting, you know, creates a spark that this net team needs. But the question still remains, can they win with KD and Kyrie? And, you know, Kyrie came out and he said, I didn't know I was going to have to deal with all this with the vaccines and not being able to play at home. No, you did know. You, you did know. And listen, I'm not saying... You know, as far as the you know, as far as the vaccine, whether he should have got it or not. Okay, everybody's entitled to their opinion as far as the COVID nineteen vaccines. Okay, Kyrie chose not to do it. It's it's Kyrie's right. Did it hurt the Nets team? Yes, it did, and it shows. Did James Harden before getting traded hurt the Nets team with the fact that he came in in bad shape and didn't want to do anything? Yeah, hurts the team. Hurts the team. You know. Had the Nets had a, a fully mentally stable James Harden and a Kyrie Irving from Game 1 to Game 82, the Nets are still in the playoffs. Not Boston. And 
And that's the other key proponent here. Even though the MVP award is a regular season-based award, if you look at the Sixers, the first two games without Embiid, who is out with, with a concussion and, and an orbital injury, and now has to wear a mask, they were completely dead. Okay? Embiid comes back for game three, and there's life back in the 76ers team. To me, an MVP is more than just stats. An MVP is a guy who brings something to this team nobody else ever could. And that's the difference between, you know, for me, a Joel Embiid is the MVP, not only of the 76ers, but he's the NBA MVP. And I'm not taking anything away from Tatum or Nokic or any other player who should, who should or is eligible for the MVP award. Okay, I'm not taking anything away from them. But what I'm saying is, when you can come back and breathe that life back into a lifeless team... That's an MVP. That's an MVP. He just has that 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 spark. He he can put that team into another gear they never knew they could go to. And that's something that with with the Bulls, with Jordan, Jordan was always able to go to this next gear that not even Michael Jordan knew he could go to. Okay? And obviously you know, as long as Embiid's playing and they could beat the Heat, you still got to worry about Milwaukee. And I think Milwaukee now has, what, like a 3-1 lead on, on the Celtics? And, you know, and that's without Chris Middleton. You know, the Bucs are doing this without Middleton. But if the Bucs got to go up against the 76ers, I think the Sixers just have too much that the Bucs... That the Bucks run to a second title is is done at this point. Um, you know, obviously yesterday, going back to Major League Baseball, we you know we had the we had the Yankees Rangers doubleheader. And Chris Woodward, the manager of the, the Rangers, complaining about you know the you know the dimensions of Yankee Stadium and Glaber Torres' walk off and how that wouldn't have been out of ninety nine percent of ballparks. But Major League Baseball decides that they're going to add this other stat where it'll tell you how many ballparks this home run would have been out of. 24 ballparks. Glaber Torres' walk-off would have been out of. How's that 99%? Bottom line is, your pitcher made a bad pitch, Glaber took advantage, Glaber hit it out of the ballpark, the Yankees won. No matter who the Rangers go out and get, the Rangers are going to suck. Okay. Chris Woodward is not a good manager for the Texas Rangers. Nobody's ever heard of Chris Woodward before he took the Rangers job. So, you know, bottom line is Yankee Stadium is built the way Yankee Stadium is built. And yes, it's a hitter-friendly ballpark. And we all know that. The short porch and right, we get it. Okay? City Field, not so friendly. Camden Yards now, which used to be really hitter-friendly, is no longer hitter-friendly. From, from what I've heard, they pushed back. You know, the outfield a little bit. I think mainly left field they did it. Um, You know, Major League Baseball loves the home run factor. They always have. So, it's not like they're going to tell the Yankees, oh yeah, go push right field back, you know, another, say, 50, 60 feet because Chris Woodward in Texas is out here on, on TV 
complaining that that you know you know that's a little league home run. That's just being a sore loser. Okay, and speak and, and speaking of the of these doubleheaders. <clears throat> all right, your ace is on the mound in Garrett Cole, and he's been pitching very well lately. I understand he gives up a home run yesterday, you know, and that's in Cole fashion. You know, how do we not score more runs? See, this is the problem. During that 11-game hitting streak, we were scoring. We were, we were doing everything. And then all of a sudden, now it's like, well, let, let's just snap back into reality. And it's like, okay, Garrett Cole's on the mound. Let's not score any runs. Let's not get any hits. Let's not anything. You know, the second game, they should have won. Couldn't score. Couldn't do anything. I understand we loved when they were scoring during the 11-game win streak. But if you go back to past episodes, I said eventually this will end and we'll go back to not being able to score and not being able to do this. And it's happened. You know, you, but, the key, but the key thing is, for the Yankees to win, you have to score with runners in scoring position. And your pitchers are giving you every ounce they have in them for you to win, the, win these games. So don't sit there like yesterday and I'm seeing people say, well, you know, if Montgomery pitched a better game... Listen, Montgomery did everything he could. So you can't always bash the pitching. You can't do it. If you mean to tell me if Garrett Cole went out there, doesn't give up a home run, doesn't give up a home run, then the bullpen comes in and gives up a, gives up a solo home run, and the Yankees can't score a run, who do you blame there? You got to blame Garrett Cole? Huh? No. There are games you could blame pitching, Yes. But there's also a lot more games where you could blame the fact that nobody's hitting and that nobody's scoring and running, scoring with runners and scoring position. It's as simple as that. It's basic math. It's as simple as two plus two equals four. Okay, that's it. It's as simple as that. You know, I don't know what more I have to kind of, I don't know what more I have to say to kind of educate certain people on this matter. But there's some of us who know the game, and there's some of you that don't. But with that being said, I got to start getting ready. I got to do some payroll at work and all my other lovely before work things I get to do um, and not get paid for. <laughs> but um, I am working on doing one with my buddy Brandon soon, so uh, be on the lookout for that. Um I'll see what me and Jay have in store for Sunday. If he's not working, maybe we'll put a uh, video out. Um, So, again, to all those that follow, retweet, you all know who you are. Uh, So, until the next one, everybody be safe. And, as always, peace.